Good morning. We are reading Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his, under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The, the word of the Lord, amen. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Uh, Mary, I'm going to leave this this high when I, when I go down, just so you know. Is, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, how are we doing? Good. Everyone uh, just enjoying this lovely summer weather? It's just great. Sorry, it's not great. No, I'm, I'm ready for it to get a lot cooler. So, um, yeah, summer can be hard in that way, but one thing that I do enjoy about the summer is uh, all the summer movies that come out. Um, it's like big blockbusters, just, you know, all, all this money is thrown at these movies, and you get, you get some good movie options. And recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, a pretty unique weekend um, for all us moviegoers. Some people have called it Barbieheimer. So um, on the same weekend, we had a movie released about Barbies and atomic bombs. And a lot of people were really excited for both of them, and a lot of people went to go see both of them. Um, now, uh, I did not participate in this whole weekend. Uh, I only went and watched Oppenheimer. Uh, sorry, if Barbie was great, you guys can tell me about it later. But. Um, <clears throat> Oppenheimer was a well-done movie. Uh, it, it basically chronicles the story of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was, um, according to the movie, one of the first people to bring the study of quantum physics to America. Um, and so what's happening is, that, is they're doing this, is that they're realizing the power that can be unleashed if you can find a way to split the atom. You can make a bomb. 
a bomb that would be unlike anything that the world had seen before. Now, um, this is happening during the time of World War II, as we know, uh, and one of the, the challenges of this is that the Germans were actually a good ways ahead of the Americans. And so um, Oppenheimer is realizing the potential danger of this if the Germans were to have an atomic bomb before the Americans did. And so he is gathering everyone that he can, uh, realizing the gravity of this moment and the history of the world, uh, and he does what he can, gathering these people and trying to convince others to join the cause. And so um, I say all this, that's kind of one of the ideas of the movie. It's, there's a lot more that goes on. That's not the whole thing, and I didn't spoil it for you. Don't worry. It's a movie about atomic bombs. Um, but I say all this just to kind of bring you into the story, because there's this one interesting line uh, that's said in the movie, and it caught my attention and it had me thinking. As they are trying to put together this bomb, uh, this is heated conversation, and so I'm pretty sure it's Oppenheimer. He says to someone else, he says, don't you know that this is the most important moment in the history of the world? And I'm thinking, you know what? I guess he has a point. I mean, can you imagine how our world might be different if the first person who had the power to blow up cities at will was Hitler. If Hitler, in his desire for aggressive expansion, taking over Europe, whatever it was that was the Nazis' plan, if they were the ones that had that power, how might our world be different today? Now, um, our world has not been the same since the invention of the atomic bomb. I mean, it, it took uh, the ability of the human race to kill others quickly and efficiently to an entirely new stratosphere. And the world has not been the same since. Um, but ever since early in history, death has been a part of the world. And as humans have developed, uh, we have developed uh, better and more efficient ways uh, of bringing death to more people. Um, and so while the atomic bomb was new, and uh, the, the, the power that it had was new. The ability to bring death into the world wasn't new. And so for that reason, I might actually disagree with Oppenheimer that that was not the most important moment in the history of the world. Because what would be new would not be more death, but the reversal of death. The most important moment in the history of the world would not be when we found a way to bring, um, to quickly bring death to a great number of people, but if there was a moment of reversal of death, and if that moment, that reversal of death could be applied to a great number of people. So I say all that to say this, if, if Jesus truly rose from the dead, and if his rising from the dead would somehow make a way for hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people in the same way to rise as well, then that is the most important moment in the history of the world. Now, in our passage last week, Paul talks about his desire to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead, but he also talked about wanting to know God fully and to have intimacy with God and to share his joy. 
And so this week is going to talk about how Paul is going about getting it. You notice in in verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This thing that he is striving for, this all that God has for us who believe, he calls the prize. And so the question is, uh, how is Paul going to get the prize? How is he going to have full intimacy with God? How is he going to attain to the resurrection from the dead in some way? How are we going to do it? How do we go about uh, pursuing that? And so um, our pursuit of this uh, is basically, is we're, we're, this morning we're going to be looking at the shape of our pursuit of it. And we're going to notice three, uh, three major components of our pursuit of the prize. Striving, thinking, and waiting. We're going to have striving, a particular way of thinking, and waiting. So first, striving. Uh, notice the verbs that Paul uses in verse 12. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In verse 14, he says again, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And then in verse 13, he's going to say, he forgets what's behind and he strains toward what is ahead. Now, pressing on, straining, and this idea of uh, forgetting what's behind, not looking behind, not looking side to side, straining, looking straight ahead, it, it, these words conjure up a picture of an athlete. Maybe a runner who's straining toward the finish line. Everything that he has is, is, is focused on achieving this goal, on pushing forward. And Paul says that is what our attitude is to be toward seeking the prize. That is what our attitude, that's what our action looks like um, toward, a, toward attaining all that God has for us. We make it of first importance in our life. We strain after it, we strive after it, we seek after it, we strive to know God better. That is the thing that is of first importance that takes our energy and effort. That is how we pursue God. Now recognize that um, saying this might hit you in a number of different ways because we have a number of different people in here and we're, we're wired uh, differently. And so some of y'all might be uh, very driven people and so if someone says, hey, I bet you can't do this, you say, uh-huh, watch me. Or you might be someone um, where, where someone says, uh, hey, this is your goal. I want you to go after it. I want you to do your best. And you say, let me at it. But there also might be some people in this morning, maybe some, some really easygoing people. Uh, and, and you're like, no, I, I don't, this, this idea doesn't sit as well with me. And that could be for good reasons. I mean, it may be, you know, hearing that like you are called to strive after God just feels like one more thing on your to-do list. Um, maybe you, you are just so overwhelmed with the, the pressures and the, the things you have to deal with in life that having one more thing feels exhausting. Or maybe it's just more recently that you're, you're coming to realize that the you getting to God is something that God did for you and not something that you did for yourself. And so being called back to all this effort to chase after God just feels like being welcomed back to an old, bad dream. 
but we all strive, don't we? I mean, we all seek after something. We're all pursuers. We all are pressing on towards something. I mean, it, it, it could be uh, a promotion in your job. It could be a new job. Um, it could be uh, some picture of the good life. Or maybe if you're more one of those easygoing people, the thing you're striving for is just peace. You just want things to settle down for a little while. You want the noise to go down. But we're striving after something. Now, and, and, and the world knows that we're striving after something. Uh, I mean, that's, that's how American consumerism works. And so, I, mean, I don't know how, uh, how you feel about malls, but I find myself in one, like, decently often. I don't know why. But um, I, I'm, I'm always amazed by uh, all the different ways that, that stores and companies will try to sell their thing. I mean, they can sell us things because they know that we're striving after something, whether it's a, a look or an appeal or a certain way to express ourselves. A lot of times it's like they're holding up some picture of a glorious future. And they say, hey, here, this is the thing that you need to get there. And it works. Because we are striving after something. And so what Paul is saying here is not start striving. He's saying shift the goal of your striving. We are all strivers that are striving after something in life. But if what God has for us is the greatest thing that has existed in the history of the world, then Paul is saying, strive after that. That is what I strive for. But then the question says, so what guides this process? Tell me, tell me some more about how we are to strive. And so that's going to lead to our second point. Um, we've seen striving, but second, we're going we're to see thinking. Now, in our passage, the word think only shows up one time. Um, and that's in verse 15, when, uh, when Paul says, if on some point you think differently, then God will make that clear to you. Uh, now, think comes from the Greek word phreneo. There it is. Pretty proud that I learned how to, uh, you know, how to, how to read all that. It comes from the Greek word phreneo. It means to think, to set your mind on something. Um, now, here's the thing. Think occurs one time in our passage, but some version of phroneo occurs three times. So uh, if we go back to verse 15, uh, where it says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, it could also say, all of us who are mature should have such thinking. Now there's one more place in the passage where it, it shows this, but instead of teaching us how we are to think, it's more going to teach us how we are not to think. It's going to give a more negative picture of this. When it says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their thinking is set on earthly things. Paul says that these people live, it says, through tears as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that is a powerful, powerful statement. Now, we're not going to um, be able to entirely break it down, but to begin to have a picture of what Paul is saying when he says this, uh, we're, we're going to focus on the phrase uh, that their God is their stomach. Um, any idea what he's getting at? Someone, their God is their stomach? 
It's kind of like the old adage, eat, drink, and be merry. Their life is oriented around just getting good food, and a lot of it is the thing that drives them, filling themselves up and being happy. And so from this, we can kind of reason that for someone to fall into this category uh, that food uh, doesn't have to be their only God, that their stomach doesn't have to be their only God, it could also be that uh, their God is prestige or their God is others' opinions of them. Their God is their wallet or appearance or their value. Uh, Their God is their usefulness. Their God is their performance. Whatever it is, that their God is getting what they want and pursuing on earth the thing that's going to give them satisfaction now. That's the way of Paul, that's the way of thinking that Paul says shows that someone's thinking is set on earthly things. And because of this, if their thinking is set on earthly things, then Paul says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why is that so harsh? Because that might seem harsh. Because it's pretty normal for us to set our thinking on earthly things. Well, Paul's actually, earlier in Philippians, given us a different example of thinking, a different example of a way of thinking. Back in Philippians chapter 2, Paul instructs believers to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Any idea what the Greek word is that's in mindset? It's phreneo. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same thinking as Christ Jesus. Uh, And what was this thinking? As Eric said a few weeks ago, it's the gospel three-step. It's that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. In our case, it might look like something, it might look like something like, though he had the means to fill his stomach with the best and richest of food every single night, he did not consider that God had given him all this privilege just to spend it on himself. But he used that means to serve others and fill their stomachs as well. Or, let's try to make it personal. Remember when um, I was saying earlier about What are you and your life oriented toward getting right now? As you reflect on your life, the choices you make, the things you're going after, what your heart is after, what your mind is after, what are you oriented toward getting? I want you to fill in this blank. Though you had the means to pursue blank, How does the rest of this pattern look differently when it's knowing that Jesus is what we strive for more? What does this process look like? I'm thinking about this thing. Though we had the means to pursue blank, what does it look like when we lower ourselves or when we take the form of a servant? See, we more greatly take hold of knowing Jesus as our pattern of life conforms to his pattern of life. 
we more greatly take hold of knowing Jesus, being caught up in him, and knowing him deeply as our thinking more aligns with Jesus' thinking, as we live the way that he was living. So, uh, to kind of wrap up these first two points, we strive after taking hold of God has, uh, sorry, we strive after taking hold of all that God has for us, but we don't strive the way that everyone else does, because we have to pay close attention to our thinking in the midst of our striving. The fact that Paul's giving this warning means that there are probably many who were striving well and then were led off course, because it's all around us in the world that says that it's something other than God that will fulfill these desires. Thinking in line with the way that Jesus is thinking, now we might be tempted to say, okay, I need to do that because that's the right thing to do. And yes, it is because God has told us that this is how we are to think. But it's also the way to think that is on the path to taking hold of what God has for us. It's not only the right way, it's a good way to think. But even our very best efforts cannot bring the prize to our doorstep. It can't bring all that God has us. It can't bring it home to us. And so that's gonna lead to our third point. We've seen striving, we've seen thinking, but now we're gonna see waiting. Waiting. So Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, in the same way that Paul's instruction to press on and to strain and to strive, that might have hit some of you a little bit differently, I also recognize that his, uh, his admonition of waiting, his lifting up of waiting, might hit you a little bit different as well. Some of us really struggle to wait. Some of us, when we're driven, we're just like, no, give me something to do, I'll go get it done now. But other of us might actually find this a little bit easier. We say, no, it's okay, yeah, I'll, I'll sit back. I'll let someone else take care of it. And so I understand that this might hit you a little bit differently, but in the same way that we all strive after what we want, we're all willing to wait for what we want as well. So for example, um, I'm not a big food person. Well, I love food and I'll eat just about anything as long as my stomach can digest it, which means uh, no lactose. But um, we are, uh, I'm not a big food person. I, I basically, I mean, like I, I like good food, but not as much as probably most of you. Uh, I just want good food, healthy food as fast as I can. Um, but sometimes I eat not healthy food. And so uh, the other day I was in line at a fast food chicken place and I actually pulled out of line because it, I thought that it was gonna take about eight minutes instead of three minutes for me to get my food. But a couple weeks ago, I had no problem waiting, sorry, standing, waiting an hour in line for some really good barbecue from Pappy's. And I would do it again. So, um, we all wait for what we want, but in the same way that we aren't to strive like everyone else, we also don't wait like everyone else. So as we've already covered, uh, we wait, we don't wait passively. We don't just sit and say, mm-hmm, come on God, bring the prize. We wait actively. We are working while we're waiting. We're seeking while we're waiting. We're striving toward God to know him while we're waiting. And we also wait intentionally paying attention to what's going on in our heart and our mind. 
while we wait. Uh, but the last thing that makes our waiting unique is the hope with which we wait. And so uh, we're going to see this hope from two different things, uh, two different ways that makes our hope unique as we wait. And the first thing is who you are. Uh, if we look at this verse, Paul does not say your citizenship will be in heaven. He doesn't say, hey, if you strive well enough, then your citizenship can be in heaven. He doesn't say if you think well enough, then your citizenship will be in heaven. He says your citizenship is in heaven. It already is there. Now, I don't know how that thought hits you because I know many times I walk into church being like, you know, I am not the best person in the world. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what is in your heart, if your trust is in Jesus, then right now you are a citizen of heaven. Now, um, because our citizenship is in heaven, then we can look to heaven for help. So, um, as it says, we eagerly await a Savior from there. Our help does not just come from earth. It's not just we have to figure it out on earth here if we're going to have hope. Our, our help can come from heaven. Now, um, So that's the first thing. It's who you are. But the second thing that can give us hope in the midst of our waiting, as the text says, is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, so here's what this means. Um, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, they'll be like his head so that they will be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring everything under his control, that's how he is going to meet us in our waiting. That's how he is going to get us to the prize. That's how he's going to get us to the finish line. Now, um, what is this power that enables him to bring everything under control? Um, there are two examples that the New Testament writer is going to refer to a lot of times uh, to show what this power is. And, and the first thing that gets referenced is creation. Um, John 1, uh, in John 1, we're told uh, that Jesus is God and that he's with God and that by his word of his mouth, just by his wor the word of his mouth, he brought the chaos of nothingness into an ordered world. The, or, or, the ordered world that you live in, so things like gravity, stars, planets, seasons, distance from the sun, chemistry, physics, quantum physics, although they're a little crazy, but the ordered world that you, lives in, that you live in is evidence of Jesus' ability to bring everything under his control. But the second is this. Uh, it's what uh, is often referred to as Jesus' passion. Now, to explain this, I'm going to finish the story of what happened to Jesus because of his way of thinking uh, that was in the previous chapter of Philippians. 
Um, you, you know, like, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the form of a servant. And so one of the clearest ways that we see Jesus taking the form of a servant is on the last night of his life, uh, when though he is God, he gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And after this, uh, he goes out and he lets himself be arrested. And he lets weak little men spit in his face and abuse him. And he still presses on. And then he carries the cross on his raw, on his raw back, a Roman cross. He carries it on his back. He carries it through town and up a hill. And though his weakened legs strained and pushed, and he pressed on. And as he endured all the anger of God that I should be experiencing, that we should be experiencing for our sin and for the ways that we have missed the mark, he continued pressing on until he was crushed under the weight of these things, and he was dead. And he went into the ground, and he waited. But then three days later, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, his lowly dead body, the thing that had been ripped to pieces on the cross, that lowly body rose to life again, still bearing the marks of the things that brought death to him. And what's he going to do with that power? That power that caused him to be able to raise himself? How, how, what is going to happen with that power? The text says, by that power, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the thing that we wait for. Because he has this power, he is going to be able to bring this thing home. He is going to be able to bring us finally, ultimately, to the prize. God is going to be able to finish what he started in you. And so, just to finish up, uh, what is the shape of our going after the prize, the shape of our pursuit? What does that look like? Uh, one, we strive. Yes, do strive. Do seek after the Lord this week. Seek to spend time with him. Seek to get to know him. Do prioritize getting to know Jesus this week. So we strive. Two, we think. Yes, mold your thinking after Jesus' thinking. But third, we wait. Even though waiting is an admission um, that we can't bring about the results that we ourselves want, that's okay. Because Jesus will transform us. Jesus will make us new. Jesus will bring us to the prize and then to all that God has for us. And that's very, very good news. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that you would give us the courage to strive after Jesus, the eyes to see how great he is, and the courage to strive. God, help us to focus on him when the world around us tells us to look a thousand different ways. But God, ultimately, help us 
to wait. Help us to know that the sad things will become untrue. Help us to know that Jesus' power to defeat death is the same power that he will use on our behalf as well. We thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.